Welcome to Fundamentally Drained Podcast with your hosts, Father Everett Lees, Father Tom Dahlman, and Justin Dixon. Three Christians exploring Christianity from a perspective other than the fundamental view from which we have become fundamentally drained. We'll begin the conversation and you take it from there. Today we continue our series on what we believe. Uh, This is part six, and uh, this part is called Son of God. And so um, I won't go through the summary, which I have previously. Hopefully you're kind of keeping up, or you can check out one of the other episodes for the summary, like you'll do that. Uh, But anyway, um, so in the last episode, which was Sin and Redemption, we talked about redemption and um, how the prophets uh, were used by God to call us back to um, himself and to show us the need for redemption and to announce the coming of the Messiah. And so the Messiah, as we found um, at the end of that part, is Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, and um, it says the only Son of God. And so this section or part is called God the Son. And so I, I... Got two places I wanted to go, but I I don't know. You guys can correct me here, but what is the phrase son of God? Where does it come from? And why was that used? Because Jesus isn't really God's boy, is he? (laughs) Who would like to jump on that one first? (laughs) Everett would. (laughs) Well played. Well played. So why son of God? Well, um, so obviously, um, we talk about Jesus as, as God's son. Um, Jesus had this relationship then with God that, that whom he called father. Um, there's a relational at, you know, like, you know, the, the idea is that the Trinity is relationship. And so father and son indicate, um, a, a relational, um, aspect um, I, I, I guess I'm, you know, how, how about, how about we jump into the answer? So, or, or sorry, not the answer, but what do we mean when we say Jesus is the only son of God is the first, um, sorry to put you on the spot there, Everett. I did. I kind of hung you out to dry or Tom did. And so it says, um, what do we mean when we say that Jesus is the only son of God? We mean that Jesus is the only perfect image of the Father, and shows us the nature of God, of God. <laughs> Sounds like the Blues Brothers. <laughs> so, um, what is the perfect image of the Father, Tom? What is that referring to? Well, I don't know what was in the Catechism writer's brain, but clearly, I mean, why not? Yeah, <laughs> it Go goes on. back to it goes back to Jesus showing us who God is. That whole idea. The Hebrew word that I'm pretty sure that we get the idea of son from is Elohim. Oh, okay. Which, yep. which could, um, I forgot where I was going to go with that. Sorry. <laughs> there you go. There's your there's your learning. <laughs> Just a fact drop. Your fact. <laughs> yeah. Keep going. Okay. So, um, is Jesus shows us the Father. Shows us the Father, the perfect image of the Father. So the way I read that, just plain, is that, okay, so Jesus's life is what God's life would be if God came to earth. 
very simple. That's the understanding. Is that does everyone agree with that, or would you like to correct that? I agree with that. Okay, because God is Jesus. Jesus is God, right? And that's what the assumption is: is that the life that Jesus led is the life that God would lead as a human. And we are to, uh, dang it, you used something in the last episode. Uh, uh, it wasn't the best us. I forgot what it was, but something of the longer lines. Our best lines, selves. Our best selves would be attempting to live a life not similar to Jesus, but what is that? What am I trying to get towards there? What is our calling? Like to, Jesus. Like Jesus? Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is the model. I mean, that's the Christian idea. So Dallas, um, so when you go into church on Sunday, be sure you grab a table and flip it over. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just go ahead and flip that sucker. (laughs) There could be an occasion for that, I would would suppose. Mm, And then they left our church. You better uh, be right about it, though. (laughs) That's right. You better... so uh, Dallas Willard in uh, Divine Conspiracy said, we are to live our lives as uh, how Jesus would live our lives if he was us. Boy, that sounds like a brain teaser. So that's kind of what, uh, because we are, you know, doctors and, 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 you know, we are, oh, I started to go into that saints song again. But we live our lives, we have different jobs, we have different vocations, and so on. And so it's not that we're supposed to, you know, walk around in the holy land in sandals and a tunic, but instead we are to live our lives the same way as if Jesus were to be living our lives. Ooh, I got it out there. Yes. So I, I appreciated that one. I like that one. Um, then it says, and show us, Jesus, the perfect image of the Father, shows us the nature of God. What is the nature of God? <laughs> Why don't you ask an easier question? The answer's the next bullet point, if you really want to know, Tom. <laughs> God is love. Oh, good job. Good job. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm really aching to get to the third question, fourth question. Is that it? You're trying to just pass by all of this? So when I think of the nature of God, um, there is something on Mount Sinai with with Moses where, oh, that's God's character. But is character and nature interchangeable? Yes? No? No. No? Hmm. No. Okay. Moving on. (laughs) Let's go to the third one, Tom. Please take it away. What do we mean when we say that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and became incarnate from the Virgin Mary? Oh, you want to get to this one? Okay. Yeah. By all means, what does that mean, Tom? Well, I think really important in, in the Christian confession is that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. And that he has our nature and that our nature doesn't make him less God. I mean, we could talk about that all day long. Um, and we see it, the same idea expressed, not the same idea. It's a similar idea expressed in other areas. For example, the bread and the wine don't stop becoming 
bread and wine. There's still honey and yeast and flour, but become a sacramental presence doesn't make them stop being who they are. God's presence in me uh, in salvation is not, doesn't make me stop being Tom. And in Christ, we see the perfect model of that God and humans coming together. And it says so much also about Mary. Without Mary's presence in that whole equation, and I hate to make this about Mary, but this is the only place that she gets, I'm pretty sure, in her catechism. But without Mary, yes, it is. Without Mary, she we don't have the human and the divine coming together. That's why the Orthodox, the idea, they call her, I think, Fourth Council in Ephesus, the Theotokos, Mother of God, which was a big stretch for me coming from where I came from. Right. I was willing to say, like it says in the Song of Mary, in your seed, or all nations will call you blessed. Mm-hmm. So I thought I had to call Mary blessed. But she's just a person like me. But she is the mother of the divine son of God. I mean, <laughs> she's not just like me. There's something special going on there. <laughs> yeah, there. I mean, there are... And I think I think that the the one of the things that's part of the uh, you know the virgin birth could be a whole another uh, episode, but it was not uncommon in Jesus's day and time in which you would have this idea of the gods um, having uh, sexual relations with a human and sort of bearing this superhuman or this what was called a demigod. So if we think about it in, in the superhero world, like Wonder Woman is the demigod, right? Right. Is demigod too? Hercules, Thor, yeah. Achilles was the one that, well, yeah, whatever. And, and, and so in, in mythology that was common and, and, and what the virgin birth says is that this is different than a demigod, that this is, this is God. This is this is the fullness of God becoming human in a particular person. This is not. There there was no sexual relationship between God and Mary um, that produced Jesus. And I think that Thor or Hercules or in our language Superman is who we want for our Savior, but <laughs> we needed a Savior who who tripped and fell who had bad breath in the morning, who sometimes passed gas when he didn't mean to, or had stuff stuck in his teeth. Like it says in Isaiah, there's nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. We needed a human, because that's what we are. And um, and and that there's something about our nature that's in Jesus, which God has made holy. I mean... Mary was the alternative at Ephesus that some wanted to call her the Christotokos, the birth giver, which is kind of what I grew up with, I think. It's, it's a reminder that all every idea just keeps recirculating. But that, they rejected that. They said, no, she's the mother of the divine son of God. And I think that is important for who we... If we we got to understand who Jesus is, and from that we... 
we in his nature not that you can comprehend it but grasp it somewhat intellectually and that leads us to where we leads us to marry too so and 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 to tom's point i mean i i a lot of times we don't i don't i think we don't do this i mean i know that the word i think one the word heretic gets thrown around a lot in ways that are unhelpful um and damaging and shut down conversation um but the, the the church has wrestled with a number of these heresies over the years. And a lot of times what we're doing is going back to them. So the, the, the church early church wrestled for a long time with what is the relationship between the son and the father. And these are the first controversies that lead us to the council of Nicaea and then the council of Constantinople in which they are determining what is the relationship between the father and the son. Um, and, um, and, and, and a lot of the grounding is found in this kind of first portion of what does it really mean to be, to call Jesus the son of God? Um, and, and some of that, that language that we don't think a lot about when we're sitting there saying, you know, true God from true God begotten, not made, um, are all ways of trying to answer the question of how what do we mean by son of god and what we have come to mean is that jesus is the very fullness of god that jesus is the is god in human form um and that if we want to know what god looks like we just need to go and look at jesus because jesus points us to and reveals the fullness of god to us all right so back to um the perfect image of the father um where was that yeah okay so the first okay so perfect image of father so but the, the thing too is that son of god um was a phrase that was commonly used why is that different now which I, you know what actually I, actually I think you just explained it because you said um you know something to the effect of god didn't have sexual relations with mary per se like the other gods and deities and demigods and so on um, so maybe that's kind of that explanation, but, um, son of God in, was in the old Testament son of God was what was used to describe anyone who had a special relationship to, to God. Hmm. And, and in the new Testament, it seems that the title son of God, um, takes on a, a additional, additional meaning. Caesar was known as the son of God, correct? Wasn't there phrasing yeah. in that empire? Son, uh, son of the gods. Son of the gods. Yeah. Okay. A demigod, yeah. You know, that that's something, too, that I think about is the competing narrative there in that world, in Jesus' world, of uh, son of man, son of God, is being you know used in that time, and how... Um, that plays out into today's world where, you know, you think of son of God, not that people are going around calling themselves son of God, uh, but it's also who we give our allegiance to. And, um, and especially in that world, I mean, that is, you, you just don't go against the emperor. And uh, so, um, it's so also the idea of the competing image of Caesar could claim to be this son of the gods or zeus or whatever because he was victorious because he had brought peace through right. his might and jesus 
the idea is completely different, which is he has brought salvation and peace through, you know, sacrificial love and suffering. Right. And right. and so humanity. Peter brings peace through through violence. Pax Romana, correct? Yeah. Is that the phrase for peace Roman peace through violence yeah. and war and assimilation or whatever you, the phrase is? <laughs> you get on board or die, and then there's peace, right? And Jesus offers a different kind of peace, and and that's why, you know, if you can, and I think Bible Project, not that they should, they should pay us. They should. We should get. I'll I'll reach out to well, Tim, kind of John. Like what? What? You know why? You know when we talk about peace in the New Testament, it is standing oftentimes sort of encounter to the peace that that Rome promised. Right. What it. Um, I'm going to jump a little bit here was, you know, and we get into this often and, and, uh, in conversations, I would say more, so, I don't as much, but in the past of a conversation, I'm sure you all have crossed along, but along the lines, it was like, was Jesus always intended? Meaning some people look at, you know, Genesis and then the fall and then Israel and then it's like, oh, this is none of that worked. I guess I better go down there and do this myself, kind of thing. Um, <coughs> so, what do you say when someone says that God changed his mind and and had to send <laughs> had to send Jesus down or come down himself? But but there's others who say that Jesus was always a part of this. Yeah. So that's Paul's Paul's language is is that that this has always been the plan, that there wasn't a plan B. Right. The kind of evangelical world I grew up in um, sort of told the story more of the, the other that you were talking about was, you know, well, you know, God, you know, we just continued to give, be disobedient and we couldn't follow all these laws. And so then God just decided to send Jesus and, um, I think it's sort of a really bad telling of the salvation um, narrative, and and there's there there's a there's a lot that's problematic with that. Right. Jesus becomes Plan B. There's a lot of problems with yeah, that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Sorry, we gotta we gotta need a sub. <laughs> we need a sub. Hold on. Someone else needs to come into the game. Uh, Tom, thoughts on that? Well, just like Everett said, it's clearly not how the early church saw it i mean they're reading lines like abraham through your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed or um god to eve your seed will crush the serpent's head they're seeing all of those things as explanations of christ that we missed there's a wonderful uh beautiful um art rendering of Mary um, and Elizabeth greeting each other and Mary's foot is on the serpent is on a serpent's head hmm. um, which is, which is often how Mary is presented like like this 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 is you know Mary is the new Eve <laughs> right uh, but I think I think if we look at I think if we look at the work of Jesus I mean the lot, you know, all the things about Jesus being the incarnate Son of God. Um, the two things that really kind of stand out um, about this incarnate Son of God uh, 
was his willingness to die on the cross and his obedience even unto death mm. and God's response to death, which is to bring uh, new life and resurrection. Right. Right. And, and so, and that's something too, um, you know, there's books written on this, there's discussions of things that's like, why did Jesus have to die? So I, let's ask that question. Um, and, and we may have covered this elsewhere, but that's fine. I mean, we're in this topic, so let's go ahead and cover this topic. So why did Jesus have to die? And you can relate it back to Old Testament, whatever you want to do. Tom, do you want to jump in on that one? Or well, I mean, that's the ultimate example of his being fully human. We have to die. Ooh, yes. Okay. So he did. It's not that, like N.T. Wright always says, we've turned John 3.16 into God so hated the world that he punished his only son so we could feel guilty the rest of our lives. Right. It's This is, the death is, I die so Jesus had to die. Um, I suffer in my life so Jesus had to suffer. That's so what being fully human means solidarity is um, a phrase that popped in my head is something like um, God suffers, has suffered alongside us. God has suffered um, because to be human is to suffer in some forms or another and then end up dying is kind of, is that sound along the lines of what you're saying? Yes, but I could take that too far. I could say Jesus has to be everything I am Hmm. and he's not, in in the one in one sense he's not because he's sinless is what right we've said from the right. beginning and he's also fully divine so he's also in a way what I'm trying to become but the point is that my humanity isn't going to keep me from following or from walking in the light or being salt and trying to get there in the Eastern Church we have focused uh, they've the Eastern tradition of our church is focused a whole lot more on the fact that the result of Adam and Eve's, um, that the result of Adam and Eve's sin is, is that we were now going to die, that we were destined to live with God, but our disobedience oh, and yeah. our be like God meant that we would now die. And so they see within, they see within Jesus um, that Jesus has reversed the curse. Jesus has, re- you know, it's that it's that question that Paul asked, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, hell, where is thy victory? And so Jesus has reversed the punishment that was given to Adam and Eve in his death and resurrection. So um, it's very Red Sox, you know, reverse the curse. You got shillings, <laughs> bloody sock. And <laughs> when you said that, sorry, when you said that, reverse the curse. <laughs> My head, and, went, and, my and head John, went to the Red Sox. <laughs> get this to Claris, right? That that um, in John's Gospel, Jesus is Jesus. The Last Supper happens at the preparation of Passover, not the Passover meal, and it's the it's the time in which you would have killed the lamb for the Passover meal. Mm, and so, good one. That's a good nugget. Um, and you think about you know the. The blood being affixed to the the, the the doorposts of a house, and death would pass over you. And so, when we sit there and we think, "There's the Lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world." Right, Passover has been sacrificed for us. Right. right. Yeah. Nice. Uh, there's a nugget I'll drop 
that will probably be confusing and and not next next episode <laughs> along those same lines talking about the Last Supper, but we're not there yet, I don't think. So um, I, I want to back up just a minute because this is one that kind of as I'm reading through this, um, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, where it's at. But what is the greatest importance of Jesus' suffering and death? is the question. It's a second from the top on page 850. It says, by his obedience, even to suffering and death, Jesus made the offering which we could not make. What do you, what do you think the point of them saying that we could not make is? That one just struck me and I don't understand it. So I was curious if anyone... Well, we're not the word made flesh. We're not the lamb of God, as Everett said. So we can't reconcile our own sins. We can't uh, die for the sins of the world is that kind of what that alludes to yeah I don't want to get into like uh, the kind of substitutionary atonement that I grew up with but there is this idea that um, Jesus had to be the one to do all this okay so he is the sacrificial lamb and so is substitutionary atonement is that different <laughs> not that you want to get into it let's get well, into it yeah. it is different yeah yeah, I mean, I think there's good substitutionary atonement, and there's and then there's bad substitutionary atonement. Okay. Hmm. Sounds like we're um, gonna do an episode on that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's. We can move on. It's cool. So, um, what's the significance of resurrection in the story, in the life of Jesus? Say that again. What is the well, significance of resurrection? So, the death, the atonement for sins. Um, and then resurrection. Why does there have to be a resurrection? That is the big point that's being debated a lot right now. Is it? But Yeah, I would say because this is, we're wanting God to redeem creation. We're waiting for things to be made right, for justice to roll down, you know, like water from the mountain. That's right. And, (laughs) And we're waiting for that, and we see in Jesus the hope that we're waiting for. It's not that I get to, you know, be a cloud and be on a cloud in heaven with a harp. It's that in Christ we see our future. If we, you know, um, not just our future, but the creation's future. He still has the scars. So all that pain you've been through in your life is not going to be forgotten, but somehow made right. Schmeiman, I can't explain that. Schmeiman says that that is Christianity is quoted something along the lines: "Is Christianity not first and foremost a religion which is about the undoing of death, and um, you know, death being this this thing that that every human will experience, and um, and in Christ, death that 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 final um, that final punishment has been undone, and so." Res- whether the tomb is empty or not is of great significance, and and there's there's mo- sort of some modern critiques of it. It's like well, we know people don't come back from the dead, <laughs> um, and and you know I, I because death's the, the end, right? The resurrection was not warm fuzzy feelings, um, and if the resurrection did not happen. <laughs> What we are doing is committing idolatry in our worship of Jesus, um, and and you know, it, without the resurrection, none of this makes sense. 
Now, I, I, I'm all fine with people having questions and with wrestling um, with with it because it is difficult. But Indeed. yeah, my hope is rested on on that that tomb was empty on Easter morning, and it has to be. It's, that is incomprehensible. So it's right. not something I can believe like two plus two equals four. Right. It's something I, it's a hope that I try to live into every day because uh, the view of heaven that I grew up with, which is basically the Greek Greco pagan idea of me living the spiritual shadowy existence after, uh, after life here means I don't care about the world or I don't care what will happen to it or my body or my neighbor because it's all going to burn up and we've done those episodes turn or what the, what what did you call it Justin burn. Turner burn or let it all burn let it all burn but, uh, yeah if if I see in Christ Christ resurrected body the future of creation and me and my community and everything the universe then and he still has the scars, then I need to, then what happens here matters. I need to take care of my neighbor. I need to take care of the planet. I need to love my neighbor as myself. Because so, it's not just going to all be wiped away. Yeah, I see, um, and, and I appreciate you guys saying how hard it is for, you know, uh, belief in resurrection, right? Because as you said, we don't see that, but... Then again, there is there is death and, and new life in our world, in the seasons, um, in our bodies through cells that die and new ones are created and so on. It is all around us, um, and there is something to that. And I think that here, I mean, at least from what I believe, there is there is death and new life within this. I mean, we're in the season of Lent right now where it is reminded that we are to die to ourselves, that we will eventually die, and there is new life, the eternal, in the kingdom of God right here and right now. So while my hope is in the resurrection, um, and hope is a key word in that for me that I've that authors have brought out and things like that, but there it is here and now, and we can do it here and I don't know how you guys feel about that saying that, um, but I think that is something that in hope, um, resurrection after death is important as well. Eh, I kind of flubbed that at the end. Well, I mean, I mean, and this is this is why the earliest church built, um, you know, church they 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 buried the dead with them, right? And mm -hmm. so other other cultures. The dead were somebody that you had to to fear and that you separated from, and 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 the the, the you know the the early church they buried the dead, um, uh, uh, you know, in the places where they worshipped, and 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 later they put graveyards in their church. Why? Because because they believed in the resurrection. Martyrs were willing to die for their faith. Why? Because they believed in the resurrection. That 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 the worst the world can do is kill you. And 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 even death, mm. uh, it, even death is not the final separation from from God. Right. Uh, yeah, um, our curate Emmanuel, uh, Father Mike, says uh, said to me once, the resurrection is God's way of planting His flag in the ground. <laughs> I'll be back. Hmm. <laughs> this is my territory. It doesn't seem like it, but you know. That sort of idea. That's good. That's good. I think that's a good ending point, even though 
this discussion for could go on <laughs> for a very long time. So, um, in honoring this series, uh, we'll stop there on Son of God. So, thank you everyone for listening. Um, next, we will talk about the new covenant. May the peace of the Lord be always with you. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at at Fun Drain Pod. We'd love to hear your comments on our episodes and also suggest future episode topics. Also, if you enjoy what we're doing, go on to iTunes and give us a review, please. Thanks a lot.